What's going on, Cape League fans? Welcome to another episode of the Cape League Podcast. On today's episode, we have something a little different coming your way. We sat down with a member of the 2004 and 2005 Found with Commodore teams, first baseman Mark Hamilton. Mark had a great career, made it all the way to the bigs with the St. Louis Cardinals, and won the 2011 World Series Championship with the team. His life after baseball is even more impressive, and he has been all over the news in recent weeks about the work he's doing. So let's get into the interview. Here he is, Mark Hamilton. All right, our next guest is a two-time former first baseman for the Falmouth Commodores in the 2004 and 2005 seasons, and a World Series champion as a member of the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals, Mark Hamilton. Mark, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good to have, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, I know you're probably really busy, you know, gearing up for, you know, what you have coming ahead of you, and we're definitely going to be touching on that. Um, you know, where I'd really like to start here is, you know, you played college, college ball at Tulane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, was, was the Cape League something that you had your eye on for a while as a league that you wanted to join? And, you know, what was it like when you got asked to officially, you know, come be a member of the Cape League? Sure. I mean, absolutely. It was something that I aspired to. Uh, actually, when I graduated high school, I was looking for uh, something a little more competitive um, mm-hmm. because I knew I was going to Tulane University the next year to play D1 ball. Um, and, and I actually asked Tulane if they would allow me to go to the Cape and, and they kind of laughed at the request saying that, you know, it was only for guys that were in college, but I was a little ambitious there. Um, and they ultimately sent me to the Clark Griffith League, which was my first experience in a wood bat league. And um, it definitely made me excited for the Cape when I found out I was going the next year. That's great. So did you, so when was the first time you like even heard about the Cape League? Because if you already knew about it in high school, I mean, you must've heard about it, what, through a movie or like that was people talking about it already to you? Sure. I mean, you know, as a ball player, you definitely hear about it. It's one of those things you hear on broadcasts and, and other things talking about guys that played in the Cape League or, or when you're talking about the, the major league draft, uh, guys will talk about when they got scouted there. But, you know, also, I think the movie Summer Catch is kind of something everybody got their eye on at one point. And then I definitely first learned about the Found with the Commodores on that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, for me, like, even when I was growing up, I think I was like 10 at the time, and I just started going to games, and then that movie came out. So, especially with people around my age, I think that definitely resonates with a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, the irony, the Commodores are the bad guys in that movie. Now, <laughs> exactly. you know, maybe it's the black jerseys, I don't know. Yeah, of course, yeah, and Freddie Prince, you know, had to go out and, uh, you know, make a name for himself. So, yeah, that was that was a funny movie. Um, but your your career with the, with the Cape League is a little bit, a little bit different than most. I wouldn't say it's like too, too unique, but you know, you were one of the few people that played two seasons, you know, in, in the Cape league. So, you know, did your approach change at all between, you know, your first season and then your second season coming in? I mean, in, in a way it did, you know, the first year there, there was definitely, I guess, less on the line in a way. Um, you know, the second year you're trying to prep, get ready for the draft year. Uh, you really hope to impress scouts that are around and stuff like that. Um, that first year was more of, you know, work on my skills, work on hanging with the wood bat, um, kind of get my my feet wet to that level of competition. So, I mean, a little bit, I guess there was a little bit of an approach difference the first year, the second year. But at the same time, you know, I go out to play the game hard every night and and that never changed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I always talk about with the Cape League is that you don't have a lot of time to prepare. You know, you only get a couple of days before the season starts. So sure. especially your second season, did you kind of take it upon yourself to be a little bit more of a, of a leader on the team and kind of help the guys out any way you could? 
I mean, yeah, it, you know, when you're coming back and, and you have some familiarity there, there's definitely a little bit of, uh, of the leadership role that you naturally inherit and just kind of, you know, maybe try to help calm the nerves of, you know, anybody if they needed that. But, uh, you know, the reality is the talent level so high in the Cape League. I think everybody's used to being a leader. Uh, anyone that's asked to be on one of these teams is, you know, been a leader in their sport, whether it was high school or college or both. Um, so I, I think that's one of the best things about the league in general is that everybody's really at the top of their game and, and kind of brings a, a good presence to the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you brought something up there, you know, the high, the high talent level. You know, uh, you know, your former GM back when you were on the team, Chuck Sturdivant, you know, one of the things that he was telling us, you know, when we, when we let him know that you were coming on the show was from a talent standpoint that that 2004 roster might be one of the best Falmouth teams of all time. And I was looking back on the roster. I think you guys had like eight or nine guys who ended up in the MLB. You know, some names that came to mind for me were like Jacoby Ellsbury, you know, Matt Antonelli, Cliff Pennington. You know, can you kind of, can you tell back then when that group got together, like, man, like this, these guys could be really special. Absolutely. I mean, I, I there was so unbelievably talented through and through. And, you know, we, we had just star after star after star. Our lineup was unbelievable. Our pitching was unbelievable. It, it really was, uh, I think, clear to me and, and clear to a lot of people around uh, the league and stuff like that, that there was something different about that team. Um, all the Cape teams are good inherently, but that team was definitely something special. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds like, too, just between, like, you know, how much talent there was that year, and then even, like, the following year, you know, your team made it to the championship, you know, so it sounds like you you were able to have a bunch of fun in those two seasons and got to meet a bunch of great people in the league. So do you still, you know, stay in touch with a lot of these guys? And, like, have you been back to the Cape at all since? So I haven't been back, um, but I do keep in touch with some guys, uh, you know, mostly on social media, which is kind of one of the wonderful things about Facebook and stuff like that is, is you can maintain contact with, you know, ex-teammates and and people that you've met uh, that kind of otherwise you wouldn't run into. Um, so, I, you know, I really enjoyed some of those relationships. And I've also definitely kept in contact with um, the son of my host family, uh, especially mm-hmm. as he's gotten older and, and, you know, he's reached out to me a few times when he graduated high school and stuff like that. And it's, it's been really fun to watch him, you know, mature from the seven or eight year old boy that I played wiffle ball with to, <laughs> you know, now he's turning into a man. So it's really, uh, it's been an amazing, you know, journey there. Well, that, that's a perfect transition, actually, because one of the most crucial elements, I think, that really helps make the Cape League so successful is having those local families like, take players in. So can you kind of give us a behind-the-scenes look of, like, what that process was like in terms of, like, you know, who, learning who you were being matched up with, like, how you met up with them, and then overall just how the summer went living with them? I mean, it's definitely – it's an interesting concept, you know. It, it, it's, a, it's somebody that you, you don't know. Um, and you kind of get thrust into this relationship with them. Um, but I mean, I was incredibly fortunate and, and honestly, you know, talking to my teammates and, and knowing their experiences while I was there, it seems to be that everyone really, really enjoys it and gets, you know, incredible host families. The people that volunteer to do it, um, are doing it for the right reasons. A lot of them, you know, have kids that, that love baseball and, you know, they're doing it because they want to be a part of something and, and help out. Uh, I know my, you know, host family, which was the Scotts, um, Martha and uh, Lila and, and Nick Scott. Uh, I loved them. They were fantastic. They were like a second family to me. And they really, you know, treated me just, you know, like one of them. And it, it was a wonderful experience. So when you so like, how do you how do you get assigned? Is it kind of just like random how like how you get assigned to people? And then do they do you kind of like meet them at a central location or do you just kind of like show up their house? So, I mean, it is pretty much a random assignment is my understanding that might not be correct. Uh, I, you'd have to ask someone, you know, that's more 
uh, involved in like the the technical aspects of the league. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, really, you know, they gave me their address and I, and I pulled into the drive one one day after, you know, driving up from New Orleans, which was a heck of a long drive. And it really is kind of a unique experience to do something like that, where you literally, you know, hi, how are you? I'm going to be living with you for the next few months. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. With a bunch of bags. Hey, absolutely. Here. <laughs> right. Here's, here's my luggage. So can you show me my room? I mean, it, but it was it was absolutely wonderful. And I really, really enjoyed my host family a whole lot. And they were, you know, definitely some, you know, people that have been very special to me. Yeah, I mean, it, sound, it sounds like you had a tremendous experience with them. I mean, like, what else did you do for fun with them? Like, did, you, did, did they take you to any cool places? Or was there anything that really sticks out to you as, like, activities you would love to do over the summer with them? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I definitely went to the beach with them sometimes. Uh, you know, when we had off days, we had time to go. Um, and, and my host mom was, you know, really good cook and, and would make, you know, meals when we came home and, and we just spend a lot of time talking baseball and, you know, I played video games, you know, with my, my host brother, um, and we had a big, you know, nice big yard. So we'd go out and play catch and, you know, play with ball, play tennis ball, baseball. It was just great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now I know you uh, also, you know, the two seasons you spent with Falmouth, you know, you got to play with, uh, play for, you know one of the more seasoned coaches, you know, Coach Trendy. Uh, I know you speak very highly of him. So, you know, what is it about Coach Trendy that, like, he was able to get the most out of you? And did he teach you anything that really helped you make it to the big leagues? I mean, he's an absolute gym. Uh, You know, just a wonderful person and, you know, a wonderful manager, too. And he really did – I think he really did teach me a whole lot. He he taught me a whole lot about how, you know, how to be tenacious and and how to – uh, attack challenges in the game because it's inevitable that you face them. And, and when times were tough, how to keep your attitude in the right place. Um, and, you know, I've really enjoyed that relationship and we still stay in touch. Like, you know, like I said, on social media from time to time. And uh, I feel very fortunate to have been able to play for him. Yeah. He, no, he says the same things about you. And it's funny because a lot of the things that you mentioned seemed like it was really his coaching mentality that really kind of set him apart from other coaches that you've had in the past. But you know, one of the things that he mentioned to me was, you know, first of all, is that, you know, you never got in your own way and you could tell that you really just, you know, loved playing the game. But I, one one funny thing that he said that I thought was pretty funny was that he couldn't tell if when somebody got on first base, if they were getting aggravated with you, or if they were enjoying it, because he said that you love to chat people's ears off. So <laughs> is that a, is that a, is that a tactic on your side? Is it more just, you know, I'm just loving playing this game. It, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, definitely occasionally there've been times when someone's a, you know, a prolific base stealer. Um, you know, you can kind of maybe keep them a little bit distracted, but you know, more than anything, I'm just a very social person. I always have been. Um, and you know, I like getting to know these guys and in, in that type of league, you know, a lot of these players are going to move on. You're going to see them in professional ranks, uh, and, and you're going to have relationships with them moving forward. So it, it definitely was something that, um, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, spending time and getting to, to talk to different guys on different teams that you may not otherwise. For sure. Um, so another thing you, you touched on it earlier, and I know you had a little bit of an advantage coming to the Cape league since you played in a one and bat league beforehand, mm-hmm. but you're the first, you know, position player that I've interviewed. So I'd really like to get your perspective on, you know, how tough of a change that was going from using metal bat to, you know, uh, to a wooden bat, you know, did you have to, did you have a change in mechanics at all? Or is it more of just like a change in feel? I mean, it, honestly, it's more of a change in feel. You just have a lot less room for air is the thing. You know, the, the bat's a little bit heavier, but I was kind of a, a, a big guy and, you know, I had used them before some. So, you know, there definitely is an adjustment. I think the adjustment is 
that your skill level has to get better so that you're making more centered contact more consistently. You can just get away with more things with the metal bat. You can, you know, catch it off the end. You can catch it off the handle. The ball still goes, has a little bit of that trampoline effect and, and the bats don't mm-hmm. break. Um, you know, more than anything, it, it helped me get stronger, helped me get bigger, which, which prepared me more for moving forward into pro ball. And, uh, you know, it just gave me some experience utilizing it, especially against guys throwing as hard as we saw every night in the Cape. Well, that actually is a great transition into your into your pro ball stuff. So, you know, you got drafted by the Cardinals, came up through that organization. And then you actually, I think it was like right at the beginning of the 2010 season, you got to make your debut. So, mm-hmm. you know, walk us through that experience and just ultimately coming through the big league, uh, coming through the minor leagues and ultimately making that first, you know, walking out to first base for the first time. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's an amazing journey and amazing experience. And, you know, kind of what I realized is that the minor leagues, if anything, probably it wasn't until I got to double A that I really felt as challenged as I did every night in the Cape. Um, you know, the pitching's just so quality in in the Cape league and, you know, you have to learn how to beat the levels and there's little nuances there and everything. I felt like, you know, my first short season ball was very similar to, to my college talent level that I saw uh, just you're using a wood bat. Um, when I went to low A, there were, you know, a lot more young prospects throwing hard. The strike zones were a little more variable. So there's definitely some adjustments there. Um, but when I got to double A is when I really felt like, you know, consistently being challenged by the pitching every night. And I really had to, you know, become better with my approach, uh, you know, skill, talent, all those things. They take you so far, but sooner or later, you have to really kind of finesse your game into a different level and, and have a good approach and, and be able to take at bats in a quality way, not just go up there and, you know, hacking it, whatever looks like it's the right pitch to hit. Um, and then, you know, moving through the rest of the levels, AAA, I really enjoyed. We had some unbelievable teams with my Memphis team and, and with the Paw Sox that I subsequently played for. And we made the playoffs a bunch of times. We got to play under some, you know, big pressure and some big games and PCL once. Uh, and then ultimately, like you said, making my debut in 2010, it's just incredible to walk out onto fields that you've you know, either seen on TV or maybe watched a game at when you were a kid. Uh, and, and it's it's something else. Yeah, I mean, and then going one step further the next year, you know, you're you're part of an unbelievable St. Louis Cardinals team and you end up winning the World Series. So, I mean, that's that, that obviously that's something that we all dream about as players, like making it onto that stage. So, you know, what was it like being around a special group of guys like that and then ultimately getting the job? done? Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. We had we had a great team and, you know, we actually had some of our struggles early on, but it was clear that we had a lot of talent, and a lot of ability. Um, we had signed Berkman that year. Uh, we had signed Beltron. So we kind of had revamped our lineup a little bit from the 2010 season. And it, it was clear to us that we had the ability to get it done. Um, but, you know, we didn't win enough games early on. Uh, eventually, the team really found its groove later in the year and, and put it all together and then ultimately took the, took the champion. One thing I'd like to do now is kind of transition away from baseball because – you know, you played in the bigs, you ended up retiring at the age of 30. Mm-hmm. You know, why did you think that was the right time to do that? And, you know, tell us a little bit about where you went from there. Sure. So, you know, I, I had actually kind of, I come from a interesting background. My father is a prolific researcher in, in medical oncology, and, and he's the director of pathology and laboratory medicine at City of Hope Hospital in L.A. Um, and, I, and I grew up around, you know, research, basic science medicine, and it was something that I loved. And, you know, you don't hear that every day from athletes and ballplayers that they're, you know, obsessed with organic chemistry and, and biochemistry and these things. But it, for me, it was really something I enjoyed and, and I loved, you know, hearing about what my dad did. Um, and I really wanted to become a doctor. 
when I got done playing. Uh, my dad, you know, thank goodness, kind of fostered the belief that I could do both. Um, he told me, you know, that it had been done before. There were other, you know, major league players, professional players that had become doctors. Bobby Brown comes to mind probably is the name I heard the most through my childhood. Um, and, you know, he said baseball is a young man's game. So while you're young, go play, see how far you can take it and go from there. But make sure your studies are in order. And that's ultimately what I did. I, I chose Tulane University on a large scale because of the education I knew I'd be able to receive while I was there. Um, and I majored in molecular biology my first three years prior to getting drafted. Uh, and I kind of, when I did get drafted, my wife and I sat down and, and we talked about, you know, what do careers look like? Um, obviously, the majority of people don't make it to the major leagues. And that's one career path is you go through the minor leagues for X, and mon you know, X amount of years and, and then you're done. Um, and then there's the other, the latter half, the guys that do make it to the major leagues. And, and then there's really two, two or three types of players. There's the guys that become superstars or become everyday players and play six plus years. Uh, there's the journeymen who, you know, bounce around from team to team, but still manage to get three to six years of service time. And then there's the guys that kind of ride the elevator between AAA and, and the big leagues for a few years, never really get solidified in, in a, you know, a starting role. Um, and they end up minor league free agents. And I kind of looked at that and said, you know, obviously if I'm out of the game early, if I don't make it to the big leagues, I'll go right back. I'll finish school. I'll go to medical school. If I'm finding myself being one of those people that's riding the elevator uh, and, and I'm playing minor league free agent ball, you know, at the age of 30, I want to go back and, and finish my degree and go to med school. And, and that was kind of the, the number I had set because I know how the American Medical Association works. And it's four years of medical school. I had a year left on my degree. That's five. And then residency is five to six. So there's 11. And I wanted to make sure that, I, you know, if I was given the opportunity to do it, I could be practicing medicine for, you know, a nice long career after I was done residency. Right. Okay. So yeah, that, that makes sense. So, I mean, but I know when you did decide to walk away, you know, I know you did, you were still receiving some offers to keep playing. Sure. So, you know, was it, was it kind of hard for you in that moment to be like, Oh, like, no, I think I can still go for a couple more years or was it a little bit easier for you just to make that decision. And, and you know, it, it was, it, it's, it's always a hard decision to, to give up on a dream in a way. And, and I, you know, at the same time, I think I was very fortunate that I was in a position where I didn't necessarily feel like I was giving up on a dream as much as I was pursuing another one. Um, which made it a little bit easier. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's really hard whenever you're going to hang it up and you know that, you know, you played your last game in, an, in a professional jersey and, and you played that last meaningful at bat. Um, so, you know, a little bit of both is the truth. But at the same time, the way my season ended in 2014, I actually came out and I had, there was about two weeks before classes started. So it was really serendipitous that I would be able to immediately return to the classroom and pursue a medical degree. Uh, if things had changed or gone another way, I may not have been able to do it. So despite having some interest of playing winter ball and, and some teams that were interested in bringing me into camp the next year, according to my agent, it was the right move at the time. And, and I'll tell you, definitely now I have no regrets and, I, and I'm really glad that I did it when I did it. Right. So, so take us, uh, so take us on that path then. Right. So, you know, you retired, you retired at 30, mm -hmm. you know, you went back to Tulane, finished up there to get your neuroscience degree. Mm -hmm. So where did that take you after that? So you had to get your medical degree. So where, where did you go? Right. And you so, where did you, where did you focus? Yeah, so, I mean, I went back to Tulane university, like you said, for two years, I, I finished a degree in neuroscience, finished all my courses that I needed to have like requisite courses, uh, took the board exam, the entrance exam to get into med school. 
Um, then I applied kind of broadly. My wife is from New York. Um, we had kind of, I joked, that I dragged her all over the country with baseball. So now it's her turn. Uh, and, and we pursued different options, obviously. But once I got my interview and acceptance letter from uh, the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell, which is up here in New York City, uh, mm -hmm. it, it really came to me that it was the right place. Um, they had a very unique curriculum that's case-based and, and learner-centric instead of being didactic or lecture hall learning. Um, it was a lot of, you know, learn the material on your own and then come back and discuss it with the groups, discuss it with the other physicians. Uh, and, it, and I really kind of sat with me. I had done some learning and memory classes while I was at Tulane finishing my, my neuroscience major. And, and it really seemed like the way that they educated medicine uh, would give me a high degree of retention and allow me to really benefit and utilize the, the understanding that I gained. Um, so I, you know, ultimately within a week of getting my acceptance letter, I actually ended up canceling my other interviews to other institutions and said, you know, this is where we're going. Um, spent mm -hmm. the next four years pursuing that and, and finished a, about two Fridays ago to earn my MD. Um, pretty incredible journey, honestly. And, and, you know, really couldn't take it any other way. Right. And you know, obviously I know, I think you guys graduated early with, with everything going on. So, you know, so, so, you know, there's been a lot of articles about you um, coming out recently. I've read one on ESPN. I think I read one on like USA, USA today as well, but you know, why don't you just tell everybody, you know, where you're kind of going from here. I know you just got a resident resident uh, residency at a hospital. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, where, where are you going to be going and where are you going to be working? Sure. On? So, um, you know, we go through what's called a match system. You take all your boards, uh, stuff like that. And, and depending on how you do in your boards, you can apply to, you know, various specialties in, in medicine and have a, a high likelihood of, of matching, as they call it. Uh, it's kind of like a draft in the way um, you go and interview all over the country ultimately they make a list based on their preference of all the people that they uh, interviewed and you do the same. So you put a preference of, you know, the places I interviewed, I, I think I interviewed at 20 plus places um, and this is rather, and, and I have to rank them one to 15. Um, and I matched in a field called interventional radiology, uh, which is something most people are not familiar with. Um, but it's really a, you know, an incredible field that does minimally invasive image guided surgery. Uh, so we run wires through the arterial or venous system from the outside of the body, and we utilize real-time x-ray uh, and CT imaging to see where we are. And we ultimately navigate to a target inside the body that's you know, often either inaccessible or, or very hard to access by a, a traditional surgeon. And we do various interventions that way. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to do that. The way interventional radiology residency works, we have a, uh, a one plus five system. So my first year being a practicing physician, I don't actually start in radiology. I begin as an internal medicine resident. Um, and that residency will be at Long Island Jewish and North Shore University Hospitals here in New York. Uh, those are part of Northwell Health. Northwell's been really spearheading the efforts and testing and, and COVID relief up here. They've done a tremendous job. Um, so I'll be working, you know, within the hospital system, managing patients that are admitted to the hospital. And you kind of alluded to it. Um, a lot of these patients right now are admitted, you know, for COVID. Um, I think we've had, you know, I read an article the other day, Northwell finally discharged its thousandth COVID patient. Uh, you know, from the hospital I'll be working at, which incredible. is incredible. But by no stretch of the imagination, when I start here in a few weeks, 
will we be out of the woods? So I'll definitely be, you know, directly managing these patients and it's a unique challenge. Yeah. So, I mean, that's incredibly brave of you and obviously, you know, just so unselfish of you to want to, to really want to, you know, sink your teeth into this. So, you know, what goes through your mind knowing that when you start your residency in June, that you're going to be face to face. Right. I mean, you know, there's definitely some anxiety and apprehension. I, I think that's natural. I think anyone that's, uh, been involved in this is, is feeling that way because it is scary. Uh, it's something we don't quite know as much about as we'd like to. I think generally in medicine, uh, you know, while treatments are constantly evolving, we have a fairly good grasp on how to manage a lot of conditions, especially infectious disease at this point in history. Um, and this is definitely one we don't really have the answers to right now. Uh, so, you know, until we can get a vaccine, which hopefully comes out in the near future, uh, we are going to be dealing with this problem, and it's something that we have to manage. Uh, and you manage the, you know, the anxiety around it, uh, and by, you know, taking the best care of yourself and the best care of your coworkers as you can. Yeah, and you know, I just think it speaks so highly of your character. And you know, Coach Trundy, uh, you know, Truck Street Event, they all said the same thing about your character. It's you know, it's first class, and I think everything that you're doing post your baseball career really highlights that. So. I know everyone at the league definitely appreciates how good of an ambassador ambassador you are. And I think everyone across the country, you know, whoever listens to this can really look at you as not only a success story from a baseball perspective, but life after baseball. I mean, you're really hitting a home run, Mark. And um, I know I can speak for everyone in the country and say thank you very much for the efforts. That Absolutely. You're be I mean, it's this. something that I've always wanted to do. And, and I, I feel very honored to become a physician. All right. Well, I know, uh, you know, thank you very much for sharing your story and, you know, coming on for a few minutes and, you know, can, kind of giving us a behind the scenes look on all of this. But, you know, best of luck when you start your um, you know, residency in June. And I'm sure all those patients are going to be so thrilled to be working with you. So thank you so much for the time again, Mark. And, you know, best of luck when you absolutely uh, when you get stay safe, everybody. Thank you. Thank you again to Mark for coming on the show and sharing his story. I think we can all respect the path that Mark has taken, and I'm confident that he's going to make a huge difference in so many people's lives. But that does wrap up this episode of the Cape League Podcast. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at Cape League Pod and on Instagram, Cape League Podcast. Next week, we have a fun interview coming your way with Arizona Diamondbacks pitcher Alex Young. We'll see you then.